Welcome to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. If this is your first opportunity to have listen in on the Talent Talk radio show, welcome, and kind of give you a little rundown on how it works. We basically talk about the word talent, and in our minds, talent has two different meanings. Uh, first, as it relates to uncovering the success of really talented people. And second, we also talk about talent in relation to uh, human resources leaders and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. So hopefully that uh, makes sense and you're right there with us as we look to explore how the word talent and its different meanings uh, really impact uh, the way in which your businesses work and how it uh, can have a huge impact on your company culture as well. So what typically what happens is... uh, I'm out at industry conferences and uh, special events, and I get the privilege of meeting these great CEOs and entrepreneurs and HR executives, and I decided to bring them in and uh, put them on a, on a show instead of just me being the only one to get to hear all their great wisdom and experience. And uh, hopefully what we talk about here today and or even on past shows will impact your own career in a positive way. Uh, before I get to my guests uh, today, though, I want to thank those of you tuning in live. Don't forget, you can submit your questions via Twitter right now. Just tweet them to at PeopleG2. Use the hashtag TalentTalk. And my producer, Mike, will try to feed me in some of the best questions, and we'll work them into the show. You can also send us other suggestions uh, for maybe things we ought to be asking our guests or uh, maybe guests that you think we should have on the show. We always appreciate all your, your good feedback. Uh, you can also listen to this show via a podcast. Uh, most people do it on iTunes, but Android's got one as well. Just open up that podcast uh app and type in talent talk and you can join the other 90,000 people we just uh, surpassed the 90,000 hit mark uh, for podcasts Uh, we really appreciate all of you tuning in listening to past shows and engaging and enjoying uh, all the other great guests we've had on on the show so let's get today's show started though i'm sure my next two guests will be uh, equally as great as those in the past that help us build that great network Uh, first we have uh, i think it's jordy mcclelland uh, founder and ceo of uh the things.biz and also Leslie Jossel, principal at Order Out of Chaos. Leslie will be joining me at the second half of the show, but let's go ahead and get to my first guest. Jordy, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. I'm just glad I didn't mess up your name because I usually mess up someone's <laughs> name on the show at least once a week. So, <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely we. My parents set the challenge and set the bar pretty high on that I, one. They wanted so, to keep uh, you humble, right? You getting it right. Yeah, definitely. Parents wanted to keep you humble, wanted to. To uh, <laughs> not have your name said correctly, I, my last name gets mispronounced all the time. People say put an extra R in there, and next thing I know, I'm the ice cream maker. So it's, it's, I get it, it's fine. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, uh, and of course about your company, The Things Biz. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I guess those things are are very intertwined, as I'm sure you know. With most of your guests, their stories lead up to um, businesses that they started, and for me. You know, as you as you talk about talent and the way in which the talent is measured and identified, you know, for me, if I look back at my career, I, in a lot of ways, I've made every mistake that kind of traditional career counselors would would tell you to avoid. I mean, I started; I was an English major. I left college, um, went and was a scuba instructor for a little bit. I got a great job at Coca-Cola, but then after that, I ended up leading a, a expedition to Antarctica um, before getting back into consulting and um, advertising and and really, you know, I guess the the, the for me, I just I, I look back on that and it was one. It, it has been a wonderful experience, uh, and 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 so much of it has really been luck. Um, you know, I graduated in two thousand. The uh, dot-com bubble hadn't burst yet people were hiring you know you you could there was an opportunity to make mistakes and 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 frankly just go out and learn that that you know i I really took advantage of and a few years ago in the midst of the recession I, i looked at kind of this young population of people not unlike myself who are graduating into this workforce that or this economy where 
there really weren't a lot of companies hiring and you know they were forced to either you know work and then be underemployed or were just not getting jobs at all and you know for for me the inspiration came even though these people were underemployed and may not have had kind of quote unquote relevant work they were doing things that that gave them an opportunity to to really hone and prove some of the the soft skills things like how they work in a team how they communicate their initiative a lot of the things that i've noticed through my career that that have really been incredibly valuable in the people that i've seen uh who found success so what what I did with the things was really trying to reshape the way in which uh, young people's talent and experiences are evaluated from shifting from a search for you know hard skills and specific relevant experience to really shift and, and use those soft skills as the, the, the kind of primary means of evaluating talent. And my hope with that is that not only people like myself who you know, may have an English degree but and want to go into business or veterans who you know, have great experience in the military but need to transition that uh, experience into something that can be understood by civilian employers, there's just this huge population of young people that you know I, I think is is just a really under leveraged talent base that companies you know if they if they can get through the front door will really benefit from meeting and uh, and that's really what we're trying to do at the things so w- what is the average person that's coming onto your site what is it they're they're doing then uh, so what we're what we do on the site is we're we're facilitating a uh, kind of a 360 degree career review. So their education, their their jobs, whatever those jobs have been, volunteering experience, and instead of a, a resume where you're kind of creating your bullets of your own your own achievements as you've measured them, for a person to 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 claim any achievement in in any of those experiences, they need to identify a reference who will select from. We've put together this this essentially list of 22 things. That's that's our name. These soft skills that are valued across industries, and uh, a reference will identify those two things that the person proved the most in their the experience. They'll then rate them against that, uh, each other. So there's a little bit of a, a hierarchy of importance there. Um, and then write a little context in terms of how maybe, you know, Chris, you, you proved your initiative and your flexibility when we work together. That then comes back to the candidate who then evaluates him or herself on those same characteristics and that experience. And what you see over the course of a lot of experiences building up are, is not only consensus around those things that really define how a person works and how a person thinks, but also, you know, you've got that, that prep for that moment really in a, in a cover letter or even more, more relevant in an, in an interview where someone says, you know, tell me about an experience where you've shown initiative. You'll actually have references who've identified those experiences for you to, and you've also done some of the, the thinking yourself to be able to, to represent that in an interview. That's all, you know, that's all kind of created in a, uh, a profile from, from an individual. And then um, on the company side, you know, one of the, the challenges with these, these soft skills, uh, one is making them uh, the kind of these intangibles more tangible, and we're trying to do that through this, this reference-based process. The other is comparing people's kind of ability in each of these against each other. So we've created a kind of a standardized process which tries to mimic a lot of what you would see in a, a resume screener that's searching for hard skill keywords. But in our case, it's really looking for those soft skills. Right, and those can be very, very very important uh, now. And as our uh, sort of market for for employment is starting to change and I think is starting to get back to maybe what it was before the recession where it's going to start to be harder to find the right talent. There's plenty of it out there, but to find the right person that hasn't already been swooped up and taken and is plenty happy where they are. uh, Sounds like maybe your service can really help uh, in that search. That's definitely our hope. I mean, we there's there's a lot of work that's being done to kind of find as as Peter Capelli, the the professor at, at Wharton, talks about the the perfect candidate um, that that fits all of your needs and can walk in the door right away and 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 do everything because he or she's done it before. Really, what we're trying to say is let's shift that a little bit 
companies do, you know, are, are starting to invest in training. There's a lot more efficient resources out there from a from a time and from a cost perspective to get people trained and in some of the skills and tools that they'll need. So if you can find the right person, even if that person doesn't have exactly the right experience, what we're trying to do, and 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 ultimately, you know, we're we're new, so we haven't we haven't yet proven this over time. But but our hope is that we'll we'll bring a more diverse candidate pool to companies, and among that candidate pool, those people are going to stay longer. They're going to be, you know, they're going to rise up through the ranks quicker, um, and ultimately, you know, the better long-term uh, hire for a company. Well, it makes a lot of sense because as we have really taken off in the last, you know, 15, 20 years in such an incredibly, like, technologically a specific direction as a society, how can people have the experience that you need in to, to really supply to the entire market? Not everyone could have done all of the things that you would need for that perfect candidate because a lot of these things that are coming to play for, for skills that might be needed, you know, it, it just got invented, right? So yeah. there hasn't been time for the infrastructure or for schools or different things to start teaching these things. So you need to find somebody who has the potential to learn those skills or the potential to do those things. And, you know, if you look at Silicon Valley, it's, it's generally under a particular age. They always seem to be very, very young. And part of that is because of that, because they value the people who are have the potential more than they value anybody who has experience because they tend to be on the cutting edge and nobody has experience doing a lot of the things that they're trying to do. It's a really, really great point, and I, and I think that's only going to accelerate. I mean, I, I'm actually going back to my high school tomorrow to speak at a career day, and, you know, you anticipate the questions of, of what should I be learning specifically to get this type of job? And I, and I think back to when I was in high school, and many of the jobs that I've worked over the past 15 years didn't exist when I was in high school. Um, you know, just the, the, the very industry didn't exist. So I couldn't imagine a 16-year-old me imagining what I was going to be doing. So, yeah, it, is, it really is that, that, that potential. And I think, you know, that, um, you know, what what in a lot of ways has been framed as kind of long-term potential because of how dynamic our economy is and how quickly things change, the long-term is really starting to become the short-term. Yeah, and, and I think this, you know, we, you, you've kind of framed this in the sense of uh, maybe uh, younger uh, people you're trying to look at, at those soft skills, but I think that you probably also have an incredible play with, with older workers as well that maybe have a a very fine out a very rigid set of experiences and they may look like they fit in a particular bucket but you know they may have those soft skills that be really important in an organization in a completely different skill set or a completely different manner uh where that might give them longevity within the workforce and, a, and the ability to to take on new challenges and, and find employment in places maybe they never thought of it's, a, it's exactly right. It's a vertical that you know we, we hope to start to prove the model with with entry level as we talked initially building this. Um, it seemed like there was potentially lower barriers to entry for our business in the in the entry level, but but as we launch this, we've heard a lot from kind of whether it's mid career switchers or you know there's if you look at the long term unemployment numbers, it's it really is it's those people in their late forties, fifties that. You know, in a lot of ways, companies, they, they have certain expectations about who those people are and what they can and can't do. And um, it's, it's, it's a huge need, and it's, it's one that ultimately we would love to be able to be in a position to help serve. Yeah. So I, I know you also have another company you co-founded. I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce it. I guess it's spelled A-L-T-R, correct? Yeah, Alter. Alter, Alter. okay. I wouldn't have guessed Alter. I would have thought something. Well, maybe Alter. Yeah, that's right. There we go. It's, uh, okay. Maybe you can share a little bit about what that company's doing. Yeah, yeah. So Alter is really uh, an experience design company. So, um, you know, it's, it's about building mostly digital product with a real respect for how people, users interact with products, interact with companies overall. Um, you know, I think the, the things in Alter really tie together in that, you know, the, I think a lot of my inspiration for the work that I try to do comes from a respect for people. With the things, it's, it's respect for the, the 
this kind of slack population of, of people who uh, a lot of companies haven't yet seen, but I, but I know there's value in there. Um, with Alter, it's, it's a design company where, in a lot of ways, our differentiation isn't, is, is thankfully not becoming as, as differentiated, but it's, it's really from a respect for users. So, you know, an understanding of, uh, of, of how people want to interact, why they would be excited about interacting with a company, and the benefits that ultimately they want to get out of it. So, um, so we do a lot of work in, right now in, um, in the healthcare industry right now. So, you know, trying to, to figure out ways to, to help people essentially act in their own best interest with the right information and with the right prompts to, uh, to, to, to improve their lives. And so, you know, if we kind of switch back, I guess, to the, the things uh, that you're doing, I guess you're really kind of advertising yourself then as a more human capital approach to this human capital problem. So, what do you think that that means to your target audience? I know you talk about trying to prove the model here, but do you see like a what, what is the long term thing that you really think this is going to mean for the people yeah. that you want to service? So, so it's kind of on both sides of the the equation from a from a candidate side. You know, I I think the way in which a lot of entry level recruiting, especially, um, happens, um, there's a lot of focus on. You know, resume keywords, and there's a lot of focus on making sure that your your LinkedIn profile picture looks right, and 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 talking about networking often, sometimes with without a, a lot of clarity in terms of what to what end that is. And while that's happening, there's a lot of studies. Bentley University did this study last year called the Prepared You uh, study, and and what they found was when they were talking to employers, employers were giving young graduates pretty poor grades in terms of career readiness and and where the gap was was often in terms of the soft skills and things that we're really focused on at the things Um, but the interesting thing about that that study is they also asked employers in terms of how they're hiring and those soft skills really start to drop down the list and technical hard skills related to the job really start to rise up to the top so there's this strange disconnect that you know, in, in the marketplace, as a as a young person, I, I I really can't imagine trying to figure out, you know, listening to companies in some ways, talking out of both sides of their mouth, like what what should I be doing? Um, so from a candidate side, you know, our our hope is that the focus and and frankly the work that we ask candidates to do on the things start to kind of bring to 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 focus the importance of soft skills and the values that they can bring to an employer that, that they, they themselves may not realize. Um, and ultimately, from an employer side, you know, I think a lot of what we're trying to, trying to pitch is if these are the things that you're really looking for, we have a process to help unearth that and compare candidates, um, you know, against these criteria. We can, if, if this is what you know to be important, we can bring you the people who have really proven this. So, you know, our long-term objective, our, our, our audacious goal is to start to displace the, the entry-level resume as a, as a key tool. We've got a really long ways to go to do that, but, but I think in terms of preparing young people for the careers and jobs that, that they're going to be successful in and, and ultimately bringing the right young people to companies uh, to, to build a, you know, a productive and successful workforce, that's 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 really our goal. And, and so you've taken on this kind of huge goal, and you're really looking at maybe you know changing the entire uh, marketplace uh, if you can do that. So you know companies that have been able to to make that kind of a change uh, within how we interact with, with something or uh, some idea generally have had a pretty cool culture, a pretty you know, interesting way in which they operate. So where do you guys think you are on that uh, spectrum? You know, maybe you can talk a little about your culture and what you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the, the, the good news of, of where we are as a company at the things, um, it, it, especially in terms of culture, 
is that we're of the size and, and frankly, of a revenue uh, stream model that, that we're only attracting people who are really, really passionate about the mission. Um, and, you know, that's something that as an early stage startup, you know, I think happens very often. Um, and it's something that as we grow, we want to be conscious of continuing. But, you know, our, our team consists of um, uh, people, whether it's kind of with a, with a background more like mine who just kind of recognize themselves in, in recession grads and, and recognize, you know, those, those values that, that ultimately are valuable uh, for, for a, building a successful career to our veteran services teams, which is actually just <laughs> – for whatever reason, it's turned out to be a team of Marines who kind of look at the process that they went through as they were transitioning out of the military into civilian careers and and all the challenges. I mean, there's there's incredibly uh, huge number of support systems out there and platforms for veterans, but they still there was still something missing. And, and, and for them, a lot of the, the kind of the individual characteristics that we're bringing out and the things are, are, are frankly things that are being lost in a lot of the other kind of skills translation services that are out there. So, you know, I think a lot of us, we just, we look at ourselves and recognize that we're lucky for where we've, where we've gotten. Um, but we know that there are frankly millions of people who out there who aren't as lucky. So, you know, that kind of mission really builds just a great culture of, dedicated people who, you know, are out thinking of new ideas and, and really telling our story in a, in a great way. Well, and there's a great niche right there, which is the military. I mean, that's one of the biggest challenges uh, we see. I mean, I, I've worked with some charities before and in dealing with getting uh, military personnel hired. And the hardest things that they have really to do is to take, how do I take these skills that I'm doing in the military? How do I take blowing this thing up or fixing this thing or driving this thing or whatever it is they were doing and apply that to the new job that they want in the private sector? And it's those soft skills. It's those other things or their uh, capacity to learn or their capacity to, to implement things or to follow a procedure or whatever that's not as intuitively obvious. Um, that's really important. And, and I'm not sure why it, it, it seems it's such a challenge for them when they come out. Maybe it's just because they're living in a particular world and culture and they don't have to think in any other way for a while. But when they come out, it's a, I don't want to say they can't do it, but it seems like if they have support, if they have some other mechanism in there, they're wildly more successful than if they just try to go out on their own and make that happen. It's absolutely true. And the, and the other side of that, too, is if you look at kind of our, our history as, as America, um, at this point in, in time, it, it's... It's one of the first times where the majority of people in the U.S. know a veteran. Um, you think about post, you know, World War II, post, you know, everyone had an uncle, a brother, or they themselves had a military experience. That's that's not the case anymore. So, you know, you don't have that, that, that point of understanding of, oh, my father's a vet, so I can talk to you even though I haven't served um, in a way to really to, to, to understand you as a person and maybe not just kind of a, a stereotype, um, positive or negative there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, it's not the case anymore. Uh, so most hiring managers um, don't, don't have that, that point of connection uh, to, to make the bridge to help even if a, a veteran comes in and they aren't able to represent their experience um, because they don't have that context. So, right. you know, it's definitely, it's definitely a, a challenge. And, and the other piece that we're, we're trying to, trying to help uh, with is you know, the military kind of engenders this, this um, you know, team effort or team kind of mentality, which is really, really great. But there's also that point in an interview where or even a, um, a, a resume or a cover letter where a hiring manager wants to know, okay, that's, it's great that your team accomplished this, but what specifically did you do? Mm-hmm. And that's something that, in a lot of ways, people in the military are, are trained not to do. So, you know, right. if we can start to help them take credit for the specific achievements that they did in the context of the team, that's, I think, again, another big gap that, that, that we can potentially fill. So I, I'm sure with everything you uh, are you kind of talked about and what led you up to this and, and some of the great things that you're doing now. You, 
I'm going to guess that uh, from time to time you, you like to read a, a book for inspiration, and I'm wondering if maybe you're reading one right now and you might share that with our audience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm just finishing up the uh, the Idea Factory, actually, which is the uh, the story of the Bell Labs. Uh, it's essentially their history, written by I think John Gertner. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a really it's a <laughs> it's it's a fantastic book, and it's it's interesting, kind of in the context of today, where innovation seems to be happening in so many different places. I mean, here's a Here's a government-supported entity, which was really a center of excellence that essentially led to the, you know, the, the, the invention of the transistor and so many um, cellular networks, so many great innovations that we ourselves as one that we haven't certainly in, invented the transistor. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, there's so many of those uh, kind of stories like that, of that one there, and you also have an incredible story like 3M and, you know, all the hundreds of thousands of products and patents and things that they have you know, that kind of impact our world that you can really get a lot of inspiration from with the kind of innovation and the kind of just kind of really cool, like, know-how to solving a problem that we still have the capacity to do and we still keep finding these incredible things that you, almost, you, you can almost argue, well, maybe we've hit it, maybe this is it, you know, and yet somebody tomorrow will come up with something that everyone goes, wow, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's exactly right. I was just watching a uh, documentary on the discovery of the Higgs boson, and uh, this gentleman was giving a speech, and, and a reporter asked, like, what's the ec- economic benefit of this? And he said, we don't know, but right. we've never seen this before. And, we, and just like radio waves, we're not, we're not called radio waves when we discovered them. They right. became that after we figured out what we were going to do with them. It's re- exactly, it's yeah. Really, I mean, it feels <laughs> like there's always these exciting moments in time where we can uh, we can really advance what we're doing as a, yeah. as, a, as a people. Well, Jordy, how can people uh, learn more about your company if they're interested in learning more? Yeah, so we are online at uh, www.thethings.biz.biz. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, contact information there if you have any questions about about what we're doing. But um, uh, again, I really appreciate you making the time to, to to talk with me about about what we're up to. Yeah, well, thanks for being our guest on the Talent Talk Radio Show. It was a real pleasure having you. Oh, thanks so much. Have a great day. All right, Leslie uh, Joel is coming up after this quick commercial break. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that PeopleG2 offers something different. At PeopleG2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, PeopleG2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. 
what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show or listen to past shows by visiting either octalkradio.net and clicking on the Shows tab or going directly to our show website, talenttalkradio.com. In the time we've existed now, I think it's coming up on a year and a half, uh, we've amassed a huge following, over 90,000 uh, of you downloading that podcast, and so thank you so much. My next guest is uh, Leslie Josell. She's a principal of Order Out of Chaos. Uh, don't forget to que- excuse me, tweet your questions live for Leslie right now by sending them to at PeopleG2 and using that hashtag, Talent Talk. So, Leslie, my apologies for saying your name three different ways here so far, <laughs> but I think we maybe have figured it out. It's Josell. Is that correct? That is 100% correct. Thank All right. You. So everyone else, hopefully, weren't paying attention to me the other two times. But welcome to the show. I appreciate you're, you're here, uh, no matter how I said your name. I'm here, and it's all good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Good. So tell us about yourself, a little about your background, and, of course, your company, uh, Order Out of Chaos. So Order Out of Chaos, we've been in business now for about 10 years, and we do a multitude of things. Um, we are a organizing consulting firm, but we specialize in two major areas. We specialize in chronic disorganization, which is having a lifelong struggle with organization issues, but we really, really focus on students, um, particularly those with attention deficits and learning differences. Um, so we offer all different types of ways for parents to get information from us, everything from classes, one-on-one coaching, webinars, teleclasses, videos, um, programs, all sorts of ways, and again, also virtual coaching, all types of ways for parents to get help um, for their students as well as for the student as well. We work with teens and college students. So my poor wife lives with three children who are, have ADD and a husband who has ADD, and which is one of the reasons why uh, your, your, kind of your story caught my eye when we were uh, scheduling guests here for this month. So I'm wondering what led you to, to start this company. Maybe you had a personal uh, a reason to do so or you know, maybe something else, but it would be no, fascinating to know. It's, and I think this is really the cornerstone of what has made Order Out of Chaos so successful is when my son, who is now 16, when he was five, he was diagnosed with ADHD, executive dysfunction, a whole host of learning issues, and I did what every other parent would have done. <clears throat> I scoured websites. I read up on things. You have to remember, back then, there wasn't as much information out there sure. as there is now. And I did a lot of things in my home and even at school for my son to really help him untangle his world and be able to make him successful and feel good about himself, lower the the explosiveness. And back then, what I was doing was pretty revolutionary. I was taking closet doors off. I was taking dressers out of room and putting baskets down. I was coating things that belonged to him blue because he really responded to color. And true story, I have a friend who was a therapist, still is, who saw what I did in my own home and asked if I would help her with one of her patients. And it was a mom who had ADHD and four sons under the age of 10, if you can believe it, three of them who had been diagnosed. I did it out of the goodness of my heart. I went and I helped her and I loved it. And we did everything from rooms to scheduling to charts to to structures, all sorts of things. And literally within two weeks, I had five phone calls from her friends. And true story, I turned to my husband and I said, but I don't do this for a living. And he said, well, you do now. And that is literally how Order Out of Chaos was born and yes it's been 10 years and our mission and our work is very different than it was back then much different but we never stray really from that story and I always tell that story because I always keep that in mind as we service our our clients Mm -hmm. so I'm sure as you just shared you weren't really looking to to be an entrepreneur you weren't looking to 
maybe yeah. start a business and, and do something like that. So there certainly must have been nope. some growing pains and some challenges that you had to overcome. Can you maybe share some of those with us? Um, oh, there were so many challenges along the way. I'm, I did, I call it reactionary entrepreneurship, <laughs> meaning yeah. I figured out that, okay, I hit a nerve. Obviously, if, if I was doing all this work to try to figure out how to make life better and people were coming to me saying, hey, can you do this for me? I'm sure there were a lot of other people who needed our, my services. Remember, when I first started out, I was a solo entrepreneur. And I knew nothing. So there were so many challenges. What do you charge? Um, what to call myself? Um, how to build a business? I really wanted to work in my business. And as life went on, I realized I had to learn how to work on my business. And that was a huge challenge for me because I didn't know how to run one. So, you know, you have growing pains along. And then each time and as life went on, there were more things that you had to do. You had to build websites, build infrastructure um but i'm a i'm a smart girl and all so i was also balancing and this is interesting and i don't know how many people have to do this i was also becoming educated on how to build a business all the while getting educated on how to do what i wanted to do in my business Mm -hmm. so i went ahead and i'm now an adhd coach for teens and college students it was important for me to get that certification i went ahead and have my chronic disorganization certificates from the Institute for Challenging Disorganization. So that balance of trying to become educated while working in my business as well as on it was one of the biggest challenges I had. Was there a particular point when you kind of, as you're kind of going through those, and as you said, you're being reactionary here and you're trying to solve these problems as, as they go along, but was there a point where you said, you know what, I think this is going to be a success. This is you know, maybe that was that first moment when your husband said that to you, that first comment, or maybe it was a few years down the road when you finally got profitable. Was there kind of a moment when you went, oh, okay, I think I think we're good now? Yes, and it wasn't when my husband said that. My husband, you know, he's not, he's not, you know, he's fearless. He would jump out of a plane in, in a minute. I'm, and I'm going to be honest with you because I think it's important to be, when I first started my business, I had, um, I call it fraud factor, that whole feeling of, you know, was I educated enough? Was I doing enough? Why mm-hmm. would people listen to me, buy from me, want me to want me to do this work for them? And so I worked like crazy to be so educated and so on top of things so that I would always be prepared. And I think when I realized that I didn't always have to show up with all the answers was actually when I knew I would be more of a success because it was the first time I was speaking in front of a group of people. It's funny you asked that question because it was it was that moment when I was talking in front of a group. It was 100 parents, and somebody asked a question, and I really couldn't answer it. And I said, you know, I really don't know how to answer that question, but I'm happy to either, A, discuss it with you so we can come up with an answer together, or I'm happy to point you in a direction of someone who really does know that. And someone came up to me after and said, wow, I was so impressed that you felt so confident in yourself to be able to say, I don't know that. Mm-hmm. And so I, as much as I don't have that fear factor anymore, that fraud factor, I, that was the, one of the first times I said, you know what, Leslie, this business is going to be successful because you are being authentic. Well, and it's amazing how people don't realize how powerful that can be. I would say the two groups of people who say the words, I don't know, the most are, A, people who are really, really smart, who I admire, and B, children. I, I agree with you. <laughs> Everyone else in the middle who's still trying to figure it out, they don't want to tell anybody they don't know. They keep pretending or right. make up something, and you can. everyone can tell. They know you, you don't know what you're talking about, and then you just, right. Yeah. And then, obviously, the other time was when I realized I couldn't do all the work myself. That first time I said, oh, my goodness, I think I need to, and there was that H word, I have to hire someone. Mm-hmm. That When I transitioned from being a sole entrepreneur to actually needing support and scaffolding to take my business, and I hate that word, the next level, I don't know what that really means, but to, to actually just keep my business moving and growing to to start looking and saying to myself, okay, because that's a real leap of faith to now all of a sudden not only be responsible for yourself and your business and your clients, but now other people working for you. Right. 
Right. Yeah. Now you're responsible for somebody else and ultimately for their families or whoever they're taking care of. And yeah, and you don't want to fail. You don't want to hire them. And and then three months I have to tell them, well, this didn't work out. Sorry. Right. You know, you can go back to doing what you were doing, and but they can't. You know. Right. So yeah, it it, it, it that, that's a tough one. Um, I, and, but I think that's a real turning point for people when they say, okay, this is it's time to put your foot in the water. And I always I keep going back to my husband. He's the he's the great leveler when. Because I think when you're in your business and when you are running it and going crazy and you're doing everything, it's hard to, like, see the forest from the trees. And you do need someone to look at you and say, okay, you know what? You're working 24-7. Time to stop. Time to bring somebody else on. I don't know if we always see it because we're in it. Yeah. So it's nice sometimes to have somebody who can pull you out of it and say, look what you've built. Look what you've created. So maybe to give our listeners a little bit more context, what exactly does a professional organizer do? Okay, so we don't, and I want to, we do a lot of different things, and we don't do only professional organizing. So I want to, I kind of want to bridge that a little bit. We we do different types of things. So we have an order out of chaos. We um, do a tremendous amount of moves and relocations, and that's where we're local. But what an organizer really does is we go in, we call ourselves organizing specialists. It's not really just to make your house look pretty in any way, shape, or form. Um, everybody who works for me actually is a hoarding specialist. So they really understand what the mental blockage is behind what people are feeling and helping them first to get through that mental clutter and help them deal with attachments, help them deal with sentimentality, help them deal with, you know, issues between maybe parent and son in the sense of I'm, you know, living with someone, I'm keeping this, but maybe you shouldn't be. So it's more about trying to help them also, this is interesting, come up with systems that really work for them. So many of our clients, because they are chronically disorganized, which means they have a lifelong struggle, have worked to try to make conventional systems work for them. But not everybody is a filer. Some Mm -hmm. people are pilers. Not everybody is a a concealer. Some people are revealers. You know what I mean? They need to see things. They need to keep things out. So we come in and really come up with out-of-the-box ways that will work for you. So it's not just making a kitchen look good. It's really sitting down with your, your client and saying, what's giving you the struggle? What isn't working for you? What do you envision? What's, what are you bumping up against? What have you tried in the past? And coming up with solutions that are really customed to that individual, that student, or that family. Mm-hmm. Well, I, as, as I'm listening to you and what you're saying, it makes so much sense. It's, it's so smart. And I'm just, but I'm thinking, I, in some ways, have had to do some of that on my own uh, just to keep my sanity or at least to keep my wife's sanity because I, I am that way that I'm – I really like things clean and orderly, but I don't like to do them myself. Like I'm not the one who will go and do it. So I like to have everything out where I can see it, like you said. Or, um, right. you know, so – but I don't mind if it's been organized. <laughs> right. And that's okay. Yeah. You know what? And that's the other thing. We don't come into a home and say things have to be – organized or clean or clear or right. or even we never you know we work tremendously with people that hoard i mean that's right. a huge bulk of our clients and the first thing we tell them is you're in control you're in charge you make all the decisions we're going to guide you through the process and we're going to challenge your decisions but you have to have the control you know i always say it's like the weight watchers way of losing weight because you you're given choices Mm-hmm. You know, we, we can't feed you what you need to eat. You need to come up with this. You know, you need to come up with how you're going to work through the process. Right. But you need a coach. It's like some people can't exercise by themselves, so they have a trainer next to them to show them exercises, to guide them through. It's the same. It's the same principles. Well, like I had a, a, somebody who comes over, you know, twice a month or every two weeks, and their entire job is to come over and help me get organized. There you go. You know, put that stuff away, mm-hmm. you know, deal with the stuff that, you know, because maybe I did need to have it out of my desk, you know, in the, a week ago, but now it's kind of gotten underneath something else that needs to be on my desk this week. And I no longer really need it to be there, but, you know, and so that was just a strategy that I used to say, okay, well, I need to keep this clean, but I, you know, I'm not going to just 
do it myself. I need somebody else to come in and say, okay, it's time. This is when you told me to be here to do it, and then I will do it. And we organize it together. And so I imagine that those kinds of, it's not like it's not brain surgery, and it's not that it's, you're asking them to change a behavior. You're maybe putting in different strategies to help them be successful and get to where they want to be. Some people do want to change behaviors. That is true. Some people need what we call body doubling, which is what you're describing. Mm -hmm. That they need it. It's like appointment television. They need somebody to be showing up to sit with them, to work together, to do the work that they're having a struggle doing. Um, And that body doubling principle, we actually use it so much when we work with students. Because what it does, so if you have a student at home, particularly that might have attention deficits or some learning issues, and they can't sit still and work alone in a room, but you put somebody across the table from them, it's not tutoring. But let's say you're a parent and your child has homework to do, and you're sitting across the table and you're working on your computer, or you're local or you're nearby in the kitchen or even in another room, your presence anchors that person to the task. It's like a force field. It keeps you in the chair. So what you're describing is it might be very difficult for you to do that work alone, For what, and there's a multitude of reasons why, but having someone next to you to guide you through it keeps you grounded, keeps you in that chair. I'm that way with exercise. I can't get to a gym on my own, but if somebody is next to me, I can get through it. Mm-hmm. It's that same, it's like, I, we call it like anchoring or force fielding, but it really works with students. Yeah. If you have a student at home that really has a hard time sitting, doing homework, body doubling is one of our most effective strategies. I just gave a tip. There you go. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating all the different ways, and I... I'm actually a little bit surprised. Maybe you could kind of give me more insight on this. You, you mentioned that there are people that do want to change behaviors. and Yeah. So- I, I, I guess my, my question is, is that in general, I would say people don't really change behaviors. Now, whether or not they're going to allow that behavior to continue to, to rule their lives is another issue. But yes, That's different. Well, yeah. and what I meant by that is when, we're, when we work with people that hoard once they agree to have us in their home, they do want to change their behavior. That that's I mean that's more the extreme yeah. example, but there's a lot of things going on when you are when you have hoarding issues, meaning you you know, you have doorbell dread, you don't want people in your home. Right. You might have major conflict with the people living in your home. I mean, we've had it to the point where people have lost their children, you know, to hoarding, meaning they've been taken away or even their own so well, and I've noticed a lot on those hoarding shows that, you know, there usually was some major uh, thing that happened in their lives that kind of was a, a starting point for that. So maybe they want the most organized people to start and things could get piled up, but, you know, they could get it cleaned up when when it got to be a certain point. But then when they hadn't dealt with this other major issue, a loss of somebody or divorce or exactly. whatever, then that sort of took over as the way not to have to... You right. know, think about this other thing. So, you know, with hoarding, it's a much more extreme situation. More extreme. But, when, yeah. but we have clients who, maybe it's not so much they want to change their behaviors. They want to find systems and strategies that are going to work with the way that they learn and organize. So my best, one of my favorite examples is an architect who had tables all around him and just papers and papers for like nine of the projects he was working on at the same time. And it was really affecting his work because a client would call and he couldn't get his hands on what he needed. But he was definitely not a filer. He definitely needed to see things out, and he needed to be able to get his hands on things easily. And one of the best things, the strategy that we came up with for him was what they call a literary sorter. It's almost like if you can remember the mail slots that were in the principal's office in elementary school. But they were bigger, and they looked like a tic-tac-toe board. And he could put a label on each spot of the client he was working on. And whenever he got, let's say, a drawing or a sample or a paper, he could just stick it in the slot for that client. So it was almost like he had his piles, but we put them vertical. And we put them, you know what I mean? We put them right. vertical instead of horizontal. He said it was the most life-changing for his business. Because it's client called, he could reach into that slot, grab what he needed, but he could visualize and see everything. So, yes, did he want to change his behavior? No, but he needed a strategy that would fit the way he worked. Right, right. Yeah, it, it's just amazing how maybe something that simple 
uh, it's brilliant, but it, you know, and it's simple at the same time, <laughs> you know, that can really help people. And, um, I think a lot of people want to do, to, to at least be more effective or to be better, we'll be honest with ourselves. And we say, well, I'm never going to be, you know, my, my wife would like everything in its place and every, you know, just be perfect. And you know, that's just, you know, none, I'm not ever going to be that way. But at the right. same time, I would like to be more organized or I'd like to be able to find things faster or I'd like to, you know, so you can add in those strategies to make your life a little bit easier and make those around you things a little bit easier. And, and so I think what you guys are doing that really, you know, uh, is, is probably probably pretty impactful uh, for those around them and, and probably even more impactful for those that love those people. Yes. It does. I mean, you're really taking the whole self in. You know what I mean? The family, mm-hmm. what they're doing, and, and you have a lasting effect. You, it's, and it's an amazing journey because you're really, you're really, you know, we like to say we're in your stuff. You know, we're, we're not only in your stuff stuff, but we're in your head, too. Yeah. So the relationship that you, you connect with is just incredible. It's just, listen, I, I love what I do. I love the company I've built, but I love that we really stay true to that whole mission that the client is in charge, we take the whole self in, and, you know, we go along with their, you know, on their journey with them. So I want to make sure we ask this before we go because we're almost out of time. Sure. So our favorite question I always ask our guests, and that uh, is, what are you reading right now? You know, I'm so happy you asked that question because a few days ago, I was the luckiest girl in the world and met the CEO of the Container Store. Um, He was local up here in Westchester, New York, and he was doing a book signing, and he just wrote this book called Uncontainable about how he built the Container Store and the business ethic behind it. And I have not been able to put it down because we all, everybody who knows about the Container Store has that reaction of, I love that store. Mm -hmm. And you don't love it because it has cute products. You love it because when you walk in that door, you just have this unbelievable experience when you're in there. And he talks about how he built his, his business you know, with these principles so that you would have that experience. And I haven't been able to put it down since I got it. So uh, how can people, you know, learn more about you if they're interested in, uh, you know, Order Out of Chaos? Sure. Um, Everything, we we say it's one-stop shopping. So if you go on our website, which is orderoochaos.com, they can find us everywhere. They can sign up for our newsletter, which is really like a magazine. We put out tons of content and information every month. We offer webinars and teleclasses and lunch and learns, and there's YouTube videos and all sorts of resources and content there as well, and they can find how to get in touch with us as well. Well, fantastic. We really appreciate you being on the show today, oh, and so uh, we'd uh, love to have you come back at some point and give us some more of your uh, story and an update on your success. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's about all the time that we have for today's show. Thank you again to my uh, guests, Jordy McKellen and uh, Leslie uh, Josell. Tune in uh, the next two weeks for a best of episodes of Talent Talk. And we'll be uh, live, I think, uh, Tuesday, uh, December 9th will be the next one with Nicole Cox, the Chief Recruiting Officer at Decision Toolbox, and also uh, Joe Scott, the HR Director for Merrill Corporation. Um, also, don't forget to check out the podcast at talenttalkradio.com and on iTunes. Have a great Thanksgiving to everyone, and until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Town Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2.